This recording was originally made to audio tape and converted to digital format. Ethics are fundamentals, and, and this enterprise that draws us all together is at some level uh, religious. I think most of the time that it may be beyond or below or within the conscious level uh, to say that we're here for religion or we're here part of our religious discipline or we're here as a part of a religious journey. I think our conscious motivations for being here are manifold and confusing and contradictory and enigmatic. Who knows why we're here? But it's something in common we have is a quest uh, for religion. And I want to say something about that today and what I believe to be a hallmark of religion uh, an example, I think, of where religion can be seen in so many places uh, and then uh, launch us into a New Year's journey with the fact that I think what it is we're looking for uh, will find us. Religion, as I have said before, in an etymological study, really means to to bind something up or to bind it back has also been interpretation. But there's another interpretation that I've used from time to time that seems to help. Now, I use the bind up or bind back because that presumes that something is broken. And so out of our brokenness, the religious journey is to find those elements and ingredients in life or within life that allow us to put things together. Uh, another way to, to translate the word religion is the word to tie up, as in mooring a boat. That you would take a boat and tie it up. And you know what the definition of a boat without a mooring or an, without an anchor is? Is derelict. That's the etymology of the word derelict. It means a boat without an anchor or a boat without a mooring. And so most of us find ourselves, I think all of us, find ourselves at some time or another feeling fairly derelict about life. And that is we don't know exactly what the purpose or direction is, and we've, we're lost. And religion is not only that which takes something that's broken and puts it back together, it takes that which is lost and gives it uh, a place to be, uh, a direction a sense of uh, security, if not safety. And once again, uh, clearly, religion, if you are looking for safety, then don't come to Christianity or don't come to religion uh, for safety because that was what was offered Jesus in the desert, if you remember, uh, safety. And uh, our religion doesn't guarantee any safety. I mean, all the storms that blow on any ships uh, will blow on us. All the rain that falls will fall on both the just and the unjust. What it offers us is security, and that is a mooring or a cementing together of broken things in the spite of all of the things that break us apart or, or make us feel lost. But it is the human condition to either feel or be broken, to feel or to be lost. Each of us is derelict at some time or within the thousand people that live in our own personal private community or family, there's a part of us that's always lost or broken or derelict. And so religion, therefore, is not necessarily any set of symbols or, or bag of rituals, 
It's not any particular creedal formulation. It's not any particular magic words or steps to follow. It is the nature of human beings uh, to be religious. It is part of human nature to be religious. Now, to ask somebody uh, concerning one's religion, which is a state of existence, what your religion is, is like saying, what is your thirst? I mean, it's really not quite the appropriate way to do it. In other words, if I said to you, what is your thirst, how do you answer that? Well, my thirst is, uh, is for whatever will quench my thirst. The question is, what do you want to drink? Because all of us are thirsty. At one time or another, we'll all be thirsty. And so I presume that you would like to have something to drink because you are a human being and you thirst. Rather than saying to somebody, are you ever thirsty? It's like saying, are you religious? Uh, the, the better question is, how do you quench your thirst? What do you drink is the question rather than what is your religion? Everybody is religious. Now the question then is, how do you quench your religious thirst? Well, goodness gracious, there, there are many religions and forms of religions as there are soft and hard drinks. Now, <clears throat> I don't know, as I've said before, which is the best one. In other words, what's the best religion? Well, it's tell me what your thirst is. Now, there are lots of alternatives to Christianity. I hope you know that. I also hope you realize that two-thirds of the world is non-Christian. Now, that's not to say that Christianity isn't important or it isn't a quencher of thirsts. It's to say it's not the only religion. I hate to be the one to have to tell you that. Uh, maybe the question is, what is your thirst and therefore what do you want to drink? And maybe people in different cultures and different times and different places have different tastes. Now, I am a Christian um, by conscious decision, not by inheritance. You cannot inherit Christianity. You must choose it from among alternatives or it's no choice. You can't inherit Christianity. Uh, it's never more than one generation old and each and every new generation must choose it for itself. Uh, I am Christian, and probably if we, thank you Martin for taking your coat off in China, it's, it's a movement throughout the room. Uh, I think it's terribly hot in here. I'm Christian probably because that was the religion of choice of my family. Now, I'm not Christian because my family were Christians. 
I had to choose it for myself, and I did so consciously. And yet, I wonder, though I don't know, had I been raised in, in another culture, would I not have chosen to be Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim? I don't know. I wonder, would I feel like those who had chosen a different way to quench their thirst, that they would remain thirsty? I don't know. I wonder about that. In other words, if I was Muslim, do I, would I think everybody was going to hell but the Muslims? Or if I was Hindu, would I think everybody was, was not going to drink of the living God except uh, the Hindus? I don't know. Well, the question comes, well, how do the Buddhists and the Hindus feel about that? Well, uh, I've got some, some news for you. Did you know that there are many forms of Buddhism and Hinduism as there are forms of Christianity? A little closer to home, let's take into our culture, not much closer because this is becoming a very poly-religious city with mosques and temples here in Houston now. But let's say a little closer, our tradition would be Judaism. And that is to say, what does a Jew feel about so-and-so? Well, you know, there are many kinds of Judaism. And so to say, what do Christians feel about something? Well, there are many forms of Christianity, many denominations. Well, well it kind of depends on what your taste is as to what satisfies your thirst. Now, I must say, uh, I'm most criticized for this and enjoy this criticism the most. <laughs> Let me try that again in case you didn't get that. <laughs> I'm most criticized for this, and this is the criticism about me that I enjoy the most, and that is that I'm too open. Uh, I like that as an, as an accusation. Guilty. Uh, I am not going to be closed-minded about anybody's possibility, mainly because I just haven't been put in charge of that. I've got enough I'm in charge of, you know? And I'm not in charge of somebody else's soul. I'm really not. Now, I am, I think, uh, an evangelist for Christ. The church thinks so. It ordained me to do so and has allowed me to, to be within the institution for 18 years. Um, but I'm not an exclusivist, and that is to say I've never been one who says everybody's going to hell but us. I guess the reason I don't say that is because I don't believe it. Uh, but also don't believe it's up to me to decide that. And I'm so clear of the biblical admonitions, uh, I've argued them uh, throughout uh, four or five states, <laughs> that nobody comes to the Father but by me. In other words, you must be Christian in order to be one with God. Uh, that's not the aegis of this discussion today to solve that problem, but I think there are ways to interpret that that makes Christ possible everywhere at any time. Maybe even beyond time and place. Uh, now, what I'm moving toward here is to say that what is it, therefore, that is a hallmark of religion? 
And what is it that we're really talking about when we talk about religion? I mean, there are lots of kinds of religion, and within each religion there are lots of tastes within the religion, so that you'll have different kinds. You'll have Baptists and Roman Catholics and Episcopalians. And the thing that's even more startling, and it's going to get so complex that we're not going to be able to talk about this anymore, it's, it's like taking a time-lapse photo uh, from uh, the, the farthest reaches of the universe down into the ultimate uh, microscopic view of the cell as we move back and forth in our minds, not knowing what a real unit of measurement is, until we realize that even within a denomination that there are different uh, views on things. I know that startles you to realize that not only are there different religions, but within each religion there are different denominations, and within each denomination there are different people who feel differently about different things. Did you know that there are Episcopalians who disagree on certain things? I mean, it's incredible. It's getting more complicated. Did you even know there are Episcopal priests who disagree on this? <laughs> are there Episcopal priests who have different styles? Some are too open. <laughs> Some are too closed. Um, so what is it we're about? Is it a contest to see who's best? Is that what we're about? who's the best religion, or who's the best denomination, or who's best within the denomination? Is that what we're worried about contest? Or the most, maybe that's the better contest. That one's an easier to count, I think. Who can have the most people who have the same tastes that we do? I think that's probably possible to do, and that is to have a contest to get the most people together who think like we do. I mean, that one you can do. And then we'll decide what the mean thought is of the American adult, and we can conclude, therefore, that most people feel that way. <laughs> what have we done about religion, though, in the meantime? Religion <laughs> is found in all of those. It's found even in people who are too closed, because... They are called to minister to people that are afraid of people who are too open. And it's interesting to me, I've seen it happen before my very own eyes and with my own very own life, that those who are called to speak to people who are too closed open up people. And they become more open. It's interesting. And I'm afraid the opposite's true. And that is, those who are too open uh, sometimes scare people to death and they become more closed. And we all meet in the middle, huh? <laughs> no. Afraid <laughs> not. We all grow. And we're offered alternatives. And we see changes. And we move in different directions, but we move. And that's what's important, is that religion is dynamic, and it's always calling into question the structure and your structure. And it's addressing the issue of how is it that we can try to find some meaning or sense in the midst of all this confusion and ambiguity and contradiction, and particularly where people differ, differ on things and views, because people are different places and different sexes and different education levels, uh, different regions of the world, different ethnocentricity, 
and so it's all confusing, and we realize that there's somebody who disagrees with me. Somebody's got to be right, and we can't hold consciously opposites, paradoxes, both of which may be correct but are opposites. And so we want to resolve that somehow, and so we want to say who's best, who's right, who's wrong. And what we really want is something that will help us in the midst of this fractured nature uh, begin to put something together to find some sense or some meaning and something in the midst of all this that will lure us up in the storms of life that will hold us together and hold us in place. And that's what religion's about. I'm not going to say all religions are good or all religions do what religions are supposed to do. In other words, not all religions are good. Good means serving the purpose for which it was created. Some religions are not good. Some of them are exploitive, or the human beings who are part of the religion are exploitive uh, and, and do destructive things in the name of religion, so I wouldn't say that. But I would say any religion that is allowing one to grow and become and is offering one alternatives to being a derelict and is offering alternatives to being lost, then I think that religion is good. Now, I finally, uh, you can see that there is some discomfort in my tradition for being so open, and so for those of you who think I'm too open, I must say I believe that Christianity is the most complete religion. Uh, but I don't believe, finally, that God in Christ excludes anybody. Oh yes, I know, well what about judgment? Well, I think we're talking about choice, not judgment. That people can choose to not be a part of a relationship with God if they want to. That's the horrible nature of freedom. But I don't believe God in Christ excludes anybody who doesn't want to be excluded. Now, what I want to move toward very quickly is within religion then, in addition to the sense that it puts us together that are fractured or moors us that are lost, that in order to get at what I believe is the essential nature of religion is that we have to have memory and imagination. Memory in the sense that we have to know where we came from in order to know where we are and have a sense in what it is to which we're called. I have to remember time and time again. Memory is very important. Remember where you came from, who your folks are, who you were, what it is that you're called to be. Memory is very important. But imagination is very important too, and that is a sense that knowing that there's something new that's never been before that is possible. Now there's a difference between imagination and fantasy. Imagination is based on uh, facts and truth. It is creative. Fantasy is not bound by any facts or truth. And fantasy is recreational. In other words, in order for something to be imaginative or to be a part of the imagination, it must be based on facts and truth. 
Fantasy doesn't have that requirement. And so fantasy can be once upon a time and take you anywhere. Dreams, it seems to me, are a quality of fantasy. They're not bound by time, space, or facts. They just grab what they want. Fantasy does that, and it's very recreative or recreational. But imagination is creative. It brings something new into being that's based on facts and truth. And so in order to be religious, you must have an imagination. And imagination means seeing rather than looking and listening rather than just hearing. Now, I saw a movie a couple of nights ago entitled uh, Children of a Lesser God. A very religious movie. In which there are so many messages and complex patterns uh, of communication that we don't have time for this. And also, I'm not, I'm not the religious Rex Reed, um, so I'm not going to review the movie. But there's a couple of startling things about it, as many of you know, either from the Broadway play or from the movie, that it's the story of a young teacher who goes to a school for the deaf in New England, and there he discovers a 25-year-old woman who at one time was considered retarded, uh, who is working uh, as a domestic uh, janitor in the school, uh, and she refuses to learn how to talk. Uh, she will only sign. And they develop a relationship and then a love relationship. Well, several things, if you ever see the movie, if you've seen it, uh, that you might want to look for. One is that the, the beginning of her journey and his journey, uh, the beginning of their journey together into discovering uh, what it is that they can help each other do in putting their lives together. That's always a religious thing about relationships. As I said before, no, each of us is alone. Nobody can finally live one's life for another, but none of us can live our lives without others. We can't become who we are called to be without others helping us. And so a very religious thing is for them to discover the teacher who can teach her to speak and she who can teach him to listen come together and they begin a religious journey together of intimacies to meet one another's needs and it begins uh, where else? Underwater. A very startling thing that uh, kind of a uh, undeniable it seems to me symbol of uh, all of our beginnings and, and that is that their relationship begins in a swimming pool underwater in which they uh, expose themselves to one another and begin a journey together. Now the journey is this, and that is that looking and seeing are not the same thing, and listening and hearing are not the same thing. Jesus, of course, was so concerned about that. He kept saying again and again, now look. Now listen. Let those who have eyes not just look, but see. And those who have ears, not just listen, but hear. And that's what this movie is about. A nice thing for all of the, those of us who are people helpers, and for anybody 
who's in a relationship of any kind. Uh, that ought to include most of us here. And that is that she signed everything that she said with sign language, and he in the movie would repeat what she said. Now, fascinating, obviously, a way by which we, uh, the hearing audience, could understand what she was saying, but also it transformed the listener by repeating what was being said. And so every time she spoke, he repeated back what she had said. And so it took on a whole new dimension of the whole idea of looking and listening. It allowed us what the imagination thirsts for, and that is the ability to see things that are not obvious. Now, taking facts and figures and truth, but looking within them or beyond them or wherever it is that you need to look to see what it is that that's there for. And Jesus was always doing that. I mean, why would he talk about a door unless you were able to see beyond the metaphor? He referred to himself in all of those kinds of ways so people could look and listen to a new way. He said, I am door, I am light, I am lamb. If we listen and look, we can see what it is that with our imagination, based on fact, what's, what's there that we haven't seen before or what's there that we haven't heard before. That's the nature of the religious quest. And so in this movie, we find that each of them has gifts for the other, but neither can define the other. And we discover that in listening, in really listening, they discover something of one another's essence that's very different. And the question then comes, can I be myself with you? Can I become myself apart from you? And her sign for what she wanted was that neither defined the other, and that is that he dragged her into a hearing world so that she lives life through him, or that she drag him into a deaf world where that he lives life through her, but that they listen to one another. And her sign for this was this relationship, which is a classic symbol for marriage, you know, the interlocking rings or circles, that she could remain her own person and he his and they could join at some point. Now, it required him to listen in order for her to communicate through her silence. And they met at a level that was so much deeper and at a place that was so much beyond what most people in our pedestrian lives of looking and listening are able to ever get. Now, I call that religious, and I call that imaginative, because through looking and listening to the facts, but looking and listening beyond them, to see that there is not just a hidden message, but a revealed message, then that's the religious journey. Now, it needs to be done, I think, finally, within 
in a tradition. And I am a Christian, and I am an apostle, and I believe that Christianity is the most complete and inclusive religion, and I am out to convert the world. But I'm also realistic and realize that God has not called me to, to the world, but to a piece of it, and it's for people um, who are interested in somebody who appears to be too open. <laughs> but what I'm more interested in is capturing your imagination. So that whatever it is that you've been, which is never enough, you won't be satisfied with. And all these facts and figures that you've accumulated with your life, if you begin to look and listen, there are some things there that are put together for you. There are some things there that moor you. And I recommend using, unashamedly, without question, Christian symbols of those, of, as symbols of those things. The Christ being the predominant one, but Eucharist and baptism and all those, because if you look and listen, you'll see them everywhere. I mean, that baptismal scene in the children of a lesser God is, is undeniable. That if you look and listen, you'll begin to see the Christian truth everywhere. Once you've seen it anywhere, then you can see it everywhere. And so that all of life is religious journey, and through our memory and imagination, we can begin to see that religion is not located in the church, it's just the church that sits there and tells you that it's located in the world. And so our journey is within the world and within our own lives, and it is religious, and through our memory and imagination, we can live in the present, growing and becoming. And we don't have to worry anymore about what the best religion is or the best denomination or the best people within it. We're free to be ourselves and change and grow. When I came into the church, the church was being criticized for being too evangelical and not concerned about social injustice. I read today the church being criticized for being too liberal, too concerned about social injustice and not evangelical enough. It's in my lifetime. I suspect that in my lifetime it will be criticized again. Now, lots of hammers been worn out on the anvil of the church. And those of us who have a little maturity about us uh, begin to yawn a bit when the criticism starts because the church has outlived each of its critics and each culture in which it's existed. But I do think that the tradition is important for our imagination. You remember in Fiddler on the Roof, the voice comes from off stage, what keeps the fiddler on the roof? And an answer comes, Tradition. We need the tradition. We need the sense of our symbol and our, our faith, our dogma, our doctrine. We need that to secure us, to give us a memory of where we've been. Because our memory of where we've been, our tradition, you realize, was somebody's imagination at one time. And so we're called to be in our memory and in our imagination all at the same time so that we will create for another generation a new tradition, which will be based on the facts and truth of the former one, but something new that's never been before. And so it is with our personal relationships. 
The religious journey is our journey. It's a life journey. What is your religion? Well, what is your thirst? Uh, what, what is your taste? What is your need? It will change, as will you. And I am one religious symbol that gives you permission to change your views on things religiously. I hope you do. I think the worst heresy would be for one to get locked into a religious view and never change. We would still all be in the third grade. But I also give you permission not to be coerced into thinking that if you believe like somebody else does, then you'll be better off because everybody else is going to hell. I give you permission that you don't have to do that either. And finally, I guess I would say that I give you permission to be religious and not embarrassed about it. It's okay to be religious. It's okay to be human. It's okay to be thirsty. It's okay to be hungry. It's okay to be sleepy. It's okay to be religious. Nothing to be embarrassed about. And it's okay to choose your religion. And it's okay to choose the, your denomination. And it's okay to choose your own theology within your denomination. Now, if I think it's poor theology, I have the right to tell you that I think it's lousy theology. <laughs> but you're free to choose. I end by saying that I believe that the religious journey is the fundamental journey, that the basis of every problem is a religious problem, and that is the problem of what is the meaning in general? What is my purpose in particular? And where can I belong while I'm trying to decide? Uh, Christianity says there is meaning in general. There's a source to the mystery in the universe, that there's purpose for you. You have a name. The fact that Jesus had a name means that you have a name. The fact that Jesus had a life on earth as human being means that you have life on earth as human being. The fact that Jesus has life in a kingdom beyond this earth means that you have a life in a kingdom beyond this earth. And that the journey, mysterious as it is, is worth it. And that though things are not going to be all right, they're going to be okay. And that you have a place to belong while you're working all this out. And I think the church would miss its mission if it excluded anybody. God knows we need a place to belong, and I think anybody can belong to the body of Christ. Anybody. Anybody. No requirements. Except a desire to be a part. But even then, you can choose. There will be those of us hounding at your heels, though, saying, choose Christ.